Good morning again. Um, so in case you haven't been listening to the announcements lately, um, I, this is my last Sunday, our family's last Sunday. Actually, the kids will be here, so you can help take care of them for the next couple of weeks. But, um, but this is our last Sunday for a few months. Um, I'm really excited that this Wednesday, Katie and I, and then Travis and Andrea on Tuesday, actually, fly to, to Israel. And um, so pray for us and pray that the Lord ministers to us while there. I'm excited about this so that um, the, the sense of getting to be where our Lord Jesus was. And um, so I, I want to ask a few things for, of you as we move into this next season. One, I, I, want, I want to ask you to continue your good work of being a body together. I was reflecting last night, so this is, uh, we're in our, our eighth year of being a part of Lamb, and I was just so grateful thinking about the ways that God has expressed His faithfulness to this church, and my sense of trust and gratitude that he, He's going to continue to do this. And so I, I'm excited for what He's going to do among you uh, over these next few months. Um, a, a friend was telling me about one pastor who left his church and revival broke out. Now, <laughs> If that's the way the Lord chooses to do it, so be it. Um, yeah, I don't know what that would say, and I'm not going to try to guess, but so be it. Um, you guys continue on in the good work that Lord, the Lord is doing at Lamb. I, I do want to ask you, uh, you know, Ben Sharp will be joining you starting next Sunday. I, want, I know that you'll do this. Receive him well, and here's the key. Let him be your pastor. Some of you are, you know, we're, Ben and I are going to be really different. Some of you are going to be um, sad to see Ben go, and that's okay. That's great. Uh, others of you might be, uh, like two of you, Katie and the kids, will be glad that we come back, right? And then I'm back. Um, it's, either way, that, 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 it doesn't really matter. Ben's your shepherd for this summer, and receive him well, and honor him, love him, I want to ask you to pray for the staff, for Kelly and Daniel and Renee and Zoe. Um, you know, just a couple weeks ago, we realized about the implications of Redeemer having this big construction uh, project this summer, and we had been praying that this would be a stable summer. Just, you know, things would move along at a good pace, and then we decided we had to move our worship space <laughs> after I leave. So pray for them. This is the way the Lord works sometimes, and He will bless it. So pray for the staff and the vestry. Now, you know, sabbaticals for pastors, here's the purpose of them. It's to hold us accountable for the main part of our job. And here's the main part of a pastor's job. It's to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and to follow Him. Because if a pastor stops doing that, the ripple effects are awful. The story that we're hearing in John chapter 10 is a, Jesus is drawing from Ezekiel chapter 34 where the Lord is condemning false shepherds who have not listened to his voice and not led his people. A pastor's main work is to listen to the voice of the good shepherd and to follow him. And so the purpose of a sabbatical is to hold me accountable that that's what I'm doing. And so I ask you that you would pray that this would be a season in which I become more attuned to the voice of the good shepherd. And pray for our family, that our family would hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, that Katie and the kids would hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. So please do pray for me in that way. 
So, Ben, I do want to let you know a couple things, just these two coming Sundays. Ben is only going to miss two Sundays all summer. That's the plan, at least. Um, One of those is May 14th, so coming up in just a couple of weeks. So the next two Sundays are going to feel a little bit strange. Um, Travis, who is usually up here, you know, helping lead, those sorts of things, I'm dragging him away with me for these first two weeks. So sorry to you guys, um, but ask him about Israel when he gets back. Um, Ben will be here next Sunday, and then he'll miss that one of two Sundays all summer, and Eric Cotting from Incarnation will be here with you. And after that, we're going to, the church is going to establish a normal rhythm of life together. Um, So thank you. Thank you for everything. Thanks for your prayers. I want to talk to you for a minute about something else that you've probably heard us talk about a bit, because I'm not going to get to talk to you about this for a while. Now, I want you to be aware about something that's happening. Um, and I can say things right now, and then I'm going to leave, and so somebody else is going to get to, to deal with it. It's going to be, yeah, I'm happy about that. So we've used this language for a little while now since we bought the property of this idea of an abbey. Okay? Just in case any of you would get the idea that I or Daniel want all of us to become monks, I, you need to remember something. I have a wife and four children. And Daniel has a wife and four children. I've also, I've also got a dog. The most qualified in all of those to become a monk is the dog. Like, on the list of things that immediately disqualify you from becoming a monk, a wife and four children is there. They, they would not accept us. So we're, we're drawing on this idea of an abbey. I'm not, we're not calling all of us to become monks. Okay, I just want to make sure in case anybody gets nervous when we use this, use this language. So, um, many abbeys have had the same motto for about 1,500 years. That motto is prayer and work. Prayer and work. At abbeys, people pray and they work. By the way, they weren't always all just single people. Many of these were families. and th- There are some monks in Ireland that they say people had to leave the monastery to get peace because it was just such a busy place of activity. But work was an extension of prayer, and their work was a means to serve their community and to support their ministry. There was this cool article, if you get the chance to look it up, it was in the New York Times a few, a few weeks ago, and it was talking about these abbeys in France. They produce a liqueur um, called chartreuse. Have any of you, I, you don't have to feel guilty if you know what it is. It's all right. Chartreuse, you've heard of it, right? Okay, here's the thing about chartreuse. It's, being, it's 130 ingredients. The monks have had the, uh, the recipe for hundreds of years, but now there's a shortage of it. People can't find it anywhere, and they've loved this stuff. It's medicinal in a way, and then people also <laughs> love to drink it. So people are asking them to make more, and here's what the monks said. They refused because it, was, it would mean that they could not pray as much. They refused to make more because they could not pray as much. So monks have had this motto, pray and work. And here's the cool thing about their work. Their work has always been a way that manifested the goodness of God even when people thought they were really weird. Did you hear what the passage from 1 Peter said that Matt, it said, do good so that you might put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. (laughs) 
So I like when I'm reading New York Times articles about Christianity to check what the comments say, just to torture myself a little bit. But this particular article about them, they wouldn't, you know, they they wanted to pray more. I wondered, what are people going to say bad about this? And you know what? People didn't have much bad to say. So one of the things that we're modeling on the property is this idea of praying and working. And our work is going to be a way to produce good things that helps connect us to our community with people who do not know the Lord, to manifest the goodness of the Lord, and also to support our ministries. And so one of the things that we're doing is, you might have noticed, there's coffee in the back, and Daniel has started roasting coffee. If you haven't had any, it's, it's available after the service. And it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And this is one of these ways that we're going to think about this idea of praying and working so that our work connects us outside of just our church with neighbors. I would encourage you to think about, you could gift a bag to a neighbor. And it's a way to say, hey, you know, this is, my church is doing this and it helps us out, but then it's also good coffee. And maybe they'll, wow, what, tell me more about your church. That may happen, it may not, but it is a way to love our community, and to get more engaged in our community. And listen, this isn't going to be the only way we'll do this. This is one way that we're exploring doing this and trying to learn how to live into this idea of praying and working at this place that God has given us. And so I encourage you, talk to Daniel about that if you're, if you're interested in it. All right. Now, I want to talk to you more about our passage from John chapter 10. By the way, yesterday, we're in our family room, and Katie leaves the room, and Lucy starts crying. And I try to, I say, Lucy, Lucy. And she immediately turns the other direction and starts crawling away from me. And I thought, you know, she, she knows her mother's voice, and she runs from her father's voice. That's what the passage is about today. It, it's about knowing the voice of the Lord Jesus and running to it away from any voice that would lead you away from him. Martin Luther, the uh, Protestant reformer, said, sheep are not very intelligent except in one area. They learn their master's voice very quickly and know how to look to him for help. Maybe every other intelligence that we have is a liability to that one piece of intelligence. Sheep can learn their master's voice quickly and look to him for help. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants us to do, to let him be our shepherd. Now, when we, when we say that Jesus is our good shepherd, we may not realize it, but we're also acknowledging that there are bad shepherds in the world. There are bad shepherds. Jesus actually says this very clearly. He says that everyone who came before him was a thief or a robber. And Jesus is actually drawing on something that was concrete in his day. There were people who came before him and who claimed to be the Messiah, a savior of sorts, and they led many people astray. They lead, tried to lead all sorts of people into a revolution against the, the political ruler of the day, against Rome. And all of them were destroyed. 
literally destroyed. And what Jesus is saying is that if you follow false shepherds, it will lead to a kind of destruction of your life. You have to follow the good shepherd. Jesus warns in another place that there are going to be people who come after him who do the same thing, who claim to be saviors, but they're liars and they are false shepherds. So Jesus, in order to be our good shepherd, he has to play offense and defense, if you will. He's trying to lead us into greater life, but at the same time, he's trying to protect us because there are voices that would draw us away from him and away from his words of life. He's trying to protect us from things that would do us harm. There are two main ways in this passage that we hear that Jesus wants to shepherd us. And I want to talk to you about those two ways very quickly. The first way that Jesus shepherds us is by speaking to us. He guides us by His own voice. So starting in verse 3, this is John chapter 10, Jesus says, The sheep hear His voice, He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought all his own sheep out, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger but will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Now, the question that we need to ask is how do we, how do you and I recognize Jesus's voice. How do we know when it's Jesus who's speaking to us? How do we know? Every Tuesday and Thursday morning at nine o'clock in the offices, we hold a time of prayer where we listen to Scripture, we talk about it, and then we pray. And on Thursday mornings, if I'm sometimes, I will ask everyone if we can use the passage for today, for the upcoming Sunday. And we hear it, we talk about it, and we pray about it. This is open to anyone if you'd like to join. It's really a wonderful time of listening to God's Word and praying together. So this past Thursday, we were listening to this passage, and uh, Zoe actually drew our attention to one version where it says that not only did they know Jesus' voice, it says His voice was familiar to them. They could recognize it because his voice was familiar. They've heard it enough, and so they know it when it comes. How is it that we become familiar with the voice of Jesus so that we can recognize when it's his voice or when it's not his voice? This is where it's really important how we think about Scripture, how we think about the Word of God the Bible. Scripture, as some have described it, is God's Word written. God's Word written. And and we heard this in the passage from Nehemiah that, that Darcy read for us. God gave His people His Word. His very words. He gave them to Him. Those to them. Scripture contains the voice of God. We're not just reading propositions when we read Scripture. We're reading the voice of God. And I know it sounds a little trite, but but there's truth in it, the idea that Scripture is literally a letter of love from God 
to reveal himself to us so that we can be in relationship with him and live with him. Can God still speak to us in other ways besides Scripture? Definitely. Um, Christians have often said that God has two books. There's the book of Scripture and the book of creation. And he's speaking to us in both of these. Right? God still speaks and guides. But how, again, here's the key in this, how do we know if it's God who is speaking? A lot of us, I think, we will read the Scriptures, but that can be really hard work, discerning what it means. And so sometimes we would rather just listen in the creation, which is a, a good thing, but how do we know if it's God's voice that's coming to us sometimes? How do we know when emotions swell up in us and we're sensing something, how do we know if that's us or God? How do we know? The only way we know is if we're already familiar enough with His voice to recognize it when it comes. And this is why Scripture is so important. Scripture is how we become familiar with Jesus' voice so that we know if He's the one speaking to us. Jesus says in John 10 that He goes ahead of His sheep and His sheep follow Him. In other words, the sheep aren't trying to go their own way, right? Sheep, Jesus is not trying to pull his sheep along with a bit, a, a bridle, and a, and a harness of some sort. His sheep are simply following along at his voice. Also, Jesus says again that they'll never follow a stranger. They'll run away from them, in fact. Look, life in the world and the brokenness that we experience has always been confusing. We would fool ourselves if we try to think that our moment is the only moment in the world that's ever been confusing. However, I think we all can recognize that the time that we're living in is very, very confusing. It is a confusing time. Jesus is used to bolster whatever one's particular cause may be. This makes it very difficult. Because people use the, the Word, the Scriptures, and Jesus Himself to defend what can be very contradictory things. And we need good perspective if we're to be a gift to the world as the church right now. You know, Christians have never only lived for the moment that they're in. They've always been able to zoom out and recognize there's greater perspective in the plan of God. God just doesn't work only in second by second, year by year. God is working over decades, over millennia. There's a Christian group whose motto for a thousand years has been, the cross is steady while the world turns. Over a thousand years, the cross is steady while the world turns. And God's Word is the same. His word is steady while the world turns. As difficult as our moment is, there's nothing that's happened that should legitimately cause us to question God's word or his goodness. God is still good. Did you hear what Nehemiah said? I gave you good commands. 
God's word is not meant to be a curse to us. It's meant to be a gift to us to bring clarity into the midst of the confusion of the world that we live in. Even though the Bible has things that are difficult, it's always been received as the voice of God that brings clarity to us. The question is always whether we're listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd. And it's so hard because the world is so loud and God's voice can often be so quiet. Are we listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd? One other thing that I want to draw your attention to about his voice. Um, there, there was a group of lay people and bishops from, that represent our church who week before last had, were gathered in Kigali, Rwanda to pray and to discern in the midst of all the confusion of the world, how is God active in the church? And you know what they did? They started out with confession every single day that they were together. They repented. Here's a quote from a bishop who leads us. Repentance defines and shapes the Christian life and the life of the church. And I don't know if you noticed this in the passage from Nehemiah as well. They confessed for half the day. They listened to God's word and they repented and repented and repented. Ernie was at this gathering. He was gifted to be there, and he gave me some time this week to just debrief with him. One of the things that I think that, and I want to try to distill what I think is a key point. Some of you, there was a statement made that came out of this meeting. Some of you are going to read that. Others of you, you cannot think of anything you would less like to do with your time. I want to distill for you what I think is the key point in all of this. The major thing at stake in the moment in which we live is not some hot-button political issue. It's not. And it's not just sexuality or something else. The major issue at stake is whether we trust the voice of God. It really is. Do we trust God's voice? And I... I, I really do want to warn you with all love. This, this, this isn't just um, trying to use a bully pulpit. There are false shepherds who would leave, lead you away from the voice of God. There are false shepherds who will tell us only things that we want to hear. And the major issue at stake is whether we really trust the good shepherd even when he's telling us things we don't want to hear. Do you trust the Good Shepherd that He loves you so much that He would speak to you and tell you good things and also hard things? And in the midst of good and hard things, His desire is to lead you to life. He loves you. In the grief that you experience, in the pain you experience, He feels it with you. And in that, all of that, He wants to lead you into life. Again, the first way that the Good Shepherd leads us is with His voice. I hope you're letting Him lead you and guide you. I hope that you're becoming more and more familiar with His voice so that you can tell the difference between His voice and false shepherds. Now, the second way that Jesus shepherds us is by laying down His life for us. 
All of us at various points in our lives have listened to other voices. It's so similar to Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you notice how Adam and Eve get uh, taken, uh, led astray? They listen to another voice. They listen to another voice that asks them, did God really say that? Did He really? And all of us, I've done this, I've asked, well, when I've, got, when I've gotten right up against something that was very tempting in my life, I've asked that question. Did God really say that? I never would have asked it if I hadn't been so close to the temptation. But when I got up close to the temptation, then it became very difficult to discern. Did God really say that? And our distrust of God puts us in the clutches of thieves and robbers. I don't know if you've experienced this, that once you give in to temptation in some situations, it's as if a, a dam breaks and the temptation becomes all the stronger over and over and over again. So if you, if you lie, right, that often leads to more lies. If you gossip, that often leads to more gossip. If you open yourself up to sexual temptation, to lust of any kind, to pornography, it's, it's amazing and it's saddening. Drugs are the same way. We've experienced this in all forms of life. You give in to one temptation and it's as if it comes on stronger from there. And when that happens, we are in the clutches of evil. The Good Shepherd says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And so to provide us with abundant life, to rescue us from the clutches of evil, the shepherd became the sacrificial lamb and he laid down his life. He laid down his life for us. Now, there are a couple of ways we need to think about Jesus' death. One thing that Jesus' death for, uh, does for us is it covers our sin. It, it, all the dirt that we have accumulated and the filth that we accumulate in our lives, Jesus' death on the cross as the perfect and unblemished lamb covers our sin. And, and this is why in Isaiah God says, come let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they may be white as snow. Jesus cleanses you. He gives you a clean slate. He does. He offers forgiveness to you no matter what you've done. But there's one other thing that Jesus' death does. It conquers the power of the evil one over you so that you don't have to continue in sin, but you can move toward His goodness and His righteousness in your life. You see, the more we listen to the voice of the evil one, the more power he gains over us. This is what I was talking about, is you give in to temptation, and then it becomes all the stronger, and it's as if you have less and less resistance to it. The evil one uses shame, fear, pride, lust, and all his tools to lock us in a vicious cycle of self-destruction. But the devil didn't realize that when he tried to conquer Jesus, he would actually seal his own destruction. He tried to conquer the perfect one, the one over whom death could have no hold. And so Jesus drew all the power of darkness on himself in order to defeat it. He died to conquer the power that Satan and evil have over our lives. 
and to wrench us from the jaws of the evil one. So the Apostle Paul says, he delivered us from the power of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, he shepherds you in two ways. He shepherds you by his voice, by speaking to you in his love and seeking to draw you into his goodness and to guide you into his goodness. And then he knows how weak you and I are. He knows our sins. And so he has laid down his life for us to redeem us from evil and to enable us to move toward him. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.